so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Good morning. So our reading this morning comes from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 17 and we're reading from verse 7 to verse 16. And the heading is Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. So it's 1, 1 Kings 17, reading from verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, go at once to Zarephath. Of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is God's word. All right. Well... So I am told that the version event has reappeared from the digital abyss. Um, so if you're a version event user. Um, so I, I believe someone does not want you to hear what I have to say this morning. Um, I, I, this was a space this Sunday between uh, our, our last series, Visions, and then Vision Sunday, and then starting some Christmas messages. Uh, and, and really strongly early in the week, God put uh, today's message on my heart um, and, um, and, and kind of built on that. And, and I really believe that it's not God who doesn't want you to hear what I have to say this morning, um, but the enemy. And, and so I, I uploaded the version event uh, and it didn't appear as it should. And so I text, Carl, Carl, what do I do? And then I logged back in to, to see um, where it was and it had just disappeared completely. And I thought, okay. Uh, and then I got here this morning and there's, you know, filled with joy and there's a couple other things that frustrated me. And one of those things was, despite trying several printers, nothing would print my sermon notes. 
And so it's my usual thing that I, I don't print the notes until a Sunday morning when I arrive here so that, um, you know, that any changes I've made overnight or when I've gotten up in the morning uh, are in my notes and I print them off and I could not get them to print. Uh, and so Carl has been working furiously that I can go from this size screen uh, to this size screen uh, to read my notes this morning. Uh, and, and so I have a real sense of enthusiasm and excitement for what God wants for us this morning. Um, and so I'm going to pray. We thank God that he's won the digital victory uh, in the version space. Um, but we want to see a much greater victory. We want to see a, a victory in the spirit this morning, in our hearts and in our souls. And so let's pray together. Um, I don't usually do this, but I might uh, just ask you if you're able to stand as we pray, just as a, uh, as a sign that we're enthusiastic, we're ready and optimistic uh, for God's word this morning. So Heavenly Father... I thank you for what you've placed on my heart and I believe it's from you. Father, I do pray that anything that's just of of me, just of Nick, I pray that that would just flow out the back door and we'd never see it again, Father. But I pray that everything that's from you this morning would find root in our heart, that we would be radically transformed by the message that you have for us this morning. We thank you for your spirit that takes these written words and makes them living words in our heart. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Uh, Last Christmas, we're nearly at next Christmas, but last Christmas, my beautiful mother and father who were here this morning uh, blessing us with their presence this weekend uh, bought me some uh, four little espresso cups and it was a sign of their unique love for me. Um, So much so, they love me so much that um, they gave the same set to my brother and sister so that when I visited them, there would also be these espresso cups for me to drink from. Um, And so I really do love them um, and... uh, Each of them has uh, something different written on them. And so one of them says, rise and grind. Um, So I like this one. It's kind of get up, grind your coffee, get going in the morning. Uh, I really like it. And so uh, I I do take meaning them. I I look at them each morning. Uh, I start the day early with a long black. And then before I head off to work, it's a short black just to give me that uh, to get going and the deliciousness of it. Um, And so I like this one. It's rise and grind. I'm going to get up and get going. Um, This other one I also like as well, espresso yourself. That's when I'm feeling a little bit creative. I kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of a dad joke in there as well. And uh, being a dad, I take full liberties with uh, with the dad jokes. Um, So I like to often espresso myself. And and, um, the sad thing is, because I wanted to bring them this morning, uh, I had my espresso from a a different cup this morning. So you can get, I don't know which one I would have gone with. This one's my least favourite. It says sleep is for the weak. And so I have a fundamental, neurological, philosophical and theological issue with what this one says. Uh, If you agree with me, say amen this morning. Amen. (laughs) Sleep is not for the weak. It's God's gift to those he loves. Strong people sleep. Creative people sleep. So this one's rarely used only when I've, I've had to go without sleep and I try and lie to myself to say that that's okay. Uh, and this other one, the last one, says, but first coffee. I like this one because it touches on both my propensity to procrastinate and my love of coffee. It's kind of like, yes, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to change the world. I'm, I'm going to do great things. But first, coffee. And then maybe another one. But first, coffee. And so this morning, I, I want to talk to you 
about first things. Instead of just but first coffee, I know I've got some coffee lovers in the house, um, but that's not the message this morning. The message this morning I want to share with you is but first Jesus. Uh, And so I want you to say that with me. This is is what I want you to take home today. I'm giving it to you up front. But first, Jesus. (laughs) Thanks, Abraham, for at least coming in at the end. I love you, buddy. All right, let's all try again. I'll count you in this time. One, two, three. But first, Jesus. All right, we're getting there. Thank you. We're awake. And so I want to share with you this morning the principle. I'm calling it the principle of first things. The principle of first things. And so throughout the scriptures, God calls for the first of everything to be offered to him. The first of everything. That's why you know, we might have heard the phrase first fruits, but I'm calling it first things. The principle of first things because it's not just about fruit. It's about first things. God calls for the first of everything. And so in Exodus 13, 1 to 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animals. And so the backstory is this, is that God redeemed the firstborn of Israel when he freed them from Egypt. And, and so he, he, he delivered them, the, the firstborn of all of the animals and all of the humans in Egypt died. And that was the thing that finally made Pharaoh go, okay go and he thought that for a few days before he tried to chase them back down but but as a result God says the firstborn of every womb belongs to me and so a firstborn child was to be redeemed by a sacrifice offered to God to in a sense buy back from God that firstborn child the firstborn lamb the the firstborn uh, animals were to be offered to God as a sacrifice the firstborn of everything was to be offered to God in uh, Exodus 23:19, it says, "Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God." Actually, the full verse of that, if you're looking in your Bible, says, "Don't boil a mo- don't boil a goat in its mother's milk." Which that's a reminder here this morning that I'm talking about a principle of faith, not Old Testament law. We're looking at these Old Testament laws to point us towards a principle of faith, but we know that we've been set free from kosher regulations through Jesus. He's declared all food clean. And so we're not going to apply this this morning in a legalistic sense, but I want to show you that the principle still stands, that, that we're to offer the first things, the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. In Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says this, Sorry, I've deleted that one. We'll come back to that one later. 1 Corinthians 16.2. Yep, go forward. I've deleted it from the slide. It shows up later. On the first day of every week. So Paul's talking about giving of the finances. He, he was writing to the churches and part of what he was writing about was, was a collection of an offering to take to the impoverished believers in Jerusalem. And so he says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He doesn't say on the last day of the week. He doesn't say after you've done your groceries. He doesn't say once you've paid the electricity bill. He says on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. On the first day, it's the first fruits, so to speak, of your finances. And then I want to take you back to the oldest verse about first things, Genesis 4, 3 and 5. 
It's often debated, uh, this is the story of Cain and Abel's offering. It's often debated, why, why did God accept Abel's offering, but not Cain's? It's often, you know, well, maybe God doesn't like fruit and vegetables like Cain brought him, and he likes, you know, blood and guts like Abel brought him. But, but God, in, in the Old Testament, there was many offerings of fruit and grain. He says, bring me the first fruits. And so this verse says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offerings, but on Cain, his offerings, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Spoiler alert, Cain kills Abel. But what's the difference here? What, what difference is there apart from one was fruits and vegetables and one was meat? It says that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. He just bought some. But Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. Other translations actually say the first fruits of his flock. More recent translations might think we get confused between fruit and animals. And The difference is, Abel bought the first fruits. Abel bought the firstborn. This is, in my opinion, the difference between the offerings is, is Abel didn't just bring some, he bought the first. He didn't just bring some of the first, he brought the fat portions, which I know we always, we're trying to avoid fat and carbs and things like that today, but... but in this day, that was considered the best bits. Abel bought the first portions. And so God, all throughout Scripture, and, and these kind of ideas are repeated over and over again, the firstborn, the first fruits, um, the first 10% in terms of an offering. Uh, and so over and over again throughout Scripture, God calls for the first things. And so the question this morning I want us to wrestle is, why does God ask for the first of everything and not just some? Why was he pleased with Abel's firstborn offering, but he wasn't pleased with Cain's sum? Why does God ask you and me to bring the first of everything to him and not just some? And why not? Some of what's left after we've used what we need. Why doesn't God come to us and say, look, if you've got any leftovers after paying the bills, if you've got any leftover time after you've done what you need to and want to do during the week, bring me that. If you've got any leftover energy, then maybe, you know, do something for me. Why doesn't God just ask for some? Why doesn't he just ask for leftovers? Well, we're going to unpack it a bit more, but I, I want to suggest to you this morning, it's because he's worthy of so much more than just leftovers. He's in fact worthy of every song I could ever sing. He's worthy of every praise I could ever bring. No offering is big enough. No offering is first fruity enough that he is not worthy of it. It's because he's worthy. Amen? Amen. And so that we might learn to trust him. See, 
the principle of first things this morning I want to talk about isn't just God wants your first things. It's actually that if you give to God the first of everything, there will be enough for you. In fact, that's, that's kind of just putting it mildly. The, the, the reality is if we give to God the first fruits, the first things, the first portion of every resource we have, every component of our being, if we give God the first things, there won't just be enough, there'll be more than enough. The reading that Jeanette read for us this morning talks about uh, the prophet Elijah. And it was in a season of severe drought. We can probably imagine what that looks like right now. And so Elijah uh, was sent by God uh, out of the country of Israel to go to a foreign woman uh, and meet her in the marketplace. And and he found this woman and he said, God's going to provide for you through this woman. I don't know about you, but I might have been expecting a wealthy woman with a big barn and, and like, okay, cool, we can, we can eat plenty from this, but that's not what God did. And so Elijah is sent to this woman, he has a word on his heart for this woman and, and so he finds her and he says to her, after this woman has said, hey, look, I've got nothing to offer you. I have no bread. She was actually more truthful than many of us are in this circumstance. Many of us might have just finished there. She said, I have no bread. I've got a small portion of oil and a small portion of flour. I'm out here gathering some sticks. She didn't even have firewood. She had to go out and gather sticks. I'm going to go home and bake a small cake. This is a joyful message she delivers. I'm going to bake a cake. My son and I are going to eat it. Then we're going to die. That's how scarce things were from this woman's perspective. She lived in a context of not false scarcity, but genuine scarcity. And so Elijah says to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said. But after you have done that, if there's anything left over, could I get a crumb? No. Go home and do as you have said. But first, first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son... For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She lived in a context of scarcity. This was her last meal before death. God takes him not to someone who just had a mental concept of scarcity, but someone who lived in genuine scarcity. And, and he asked Elijah to say to this woman, and I wonder if he could really get the words out without feeling a sense of being jarred by them, or because um, we know Elijah's faith was like top of the mountain, bottom of the valley, top of the mountain. So I don't know where he was at in this moment, but, but it would have been jarring for him, I'm sure, to say to this woman who had nothing, first make me something. But it wasn't just first make me something as God's representative in this situation. First make me something and you will not run out. How much easier if he'd asked for the leftovers? That would have been easy for her in a sense. She didn't have much, but 
this is just the last, like we may as well use up the last bit of flour before we die kind of situation. So I'm sure she could have slithered off a little edge and said, here you go, Elijah, man of God, just have a slither. How much easier if all we're asked to give to God is our leftovers? But the thing is, in a context of scarcity, there are never any leftovers. This story paints this picture in vivid detail for us. This isn't just about this story, but it paints it in detail for us that if we give first to God, you will not run out. You will not miss out. You will not be left out if you give first to God. This is not a, a prosperity doctrine thing. Is if, well, if you keep on giving bigger and bigger sums, then bank balance goes into the billions. And part of how we don't run out is, is God gives us wisdom to steward what we have. But he also does bless us with more. This story paints this picture. If you give first to God, you will not run out. And this is not just one Old Testament story. This is not just an Old Testament law. This is a principle of faith. This is a principle deep in the heart of what it actually means to trust God. See, in Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, this is where I actually put that slide. It says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. If we honour God first, we won't have lack. In fact, the picture that's painted in Proverbs is abundance. If we flick to the next verse, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What's all these things? He's just been saying, don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about what to eat. Don't worry about your needs, which are the things we most crave. I don't want to be naked and hungry. That's kind of like Jesus isn't talking mansions and Ferraris here. He's saying, don't even worry about those things that everybody would say are first principle needs. Don't worry about those. Put first the seeking of his kingdom. And I don't think this just means, oh, I seek first the kingdom in an ephemeral sense. It means tangibly and practically put first the kingdom of Jesus Christ in your life and these other needs will be taken care of as well. In 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 10 and 11, and this is the context, in the context of, of Paul again talking about in a different letter but that same offering coming to collect it, he's saying those who sow much will reap much and then he says... Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, so, so the Apostle Paul is saying, the seed I'm asking you to sow, to give, has been supplied for you by God. So he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food, the, the food you eat, that, that came from God, will also supply and increase your store of seed. So he's saying, don't, don't fear sowing, because the God who supplied that seed will be able to, to uh, enlarge it and increase it. He will enlarge and increase your store of seed. 
and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So this sowing doesn't just have a, a, a material stamp on it saying you will not run out. It has a spiritual stamp on it saying that, that in the spiritual dynamic, as we learn to trust God, there'll be an enrichment of our righteousness. And that doesn't mean we become more holy. That's not what that means. It's the harvest of our righteousness, not a harvest of righteousness. That makes sense. You will be enriched in every way. This is so much more than money or time or possessions. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so I've, I've pulled a couple of verses out of a bigger chunk of Scripture there. But, but what the Apostle Paul is saying, if you buy into this giving thing, you will not run out. If you buy into this serving thing, putting God first, you will not run out. You will not miss out God who gave you the seed to sow has plenty more seed I hope you're catching that this is about so much more than money money is one of those things we cling to and so it's, it's very much the tangible expression at the cold front of, of what it means to give first to God because in our society it's the thing we cling most to but this is about so much more than money. It's not just first dollars, it's, it's first things. This is about saying, but first Jesus. I want to encourage you to have your plans. Have your plans for your career. Have your plans for holidays. Have your plans for, for the kind of house you want. Have dreams if you're a car person. Have dreams about what kind of car you would like to have. Have, have, have thoughts and hopes for the future, but let it all come under this banner. But first, Jesus. Have plans for what you want to do in your day, but let your day come under the banner. But first, Jesus. Have plans for what you want to do with your week, but I want to encourage you, let that come under the banner. But first, Jesus. Such a blessing that Sunday is the first day of the week and I want to encourage you to reclaim that truth. The week doesn't start with business on Monday, it starts with church on Sunday. And so I want to encourage you to reclaim a priority, but first Jesus, I will begin my week with worshipping Jesus with my church community. Let that commitment, but first Jesus... Stand over your week. Let it stand over your finances. Have financial plans and dreams, but let them come under that banner. But first, Jesus. For all of your time, for all of your energy, for every capacity that you have, let it come under the banner. But first, Jesus. Because He is worthy. Not just of the first of it, but of all of it. The outrageous thing is not that God, if we talk finances, would, would be selfish enough to suggest 10%. The outrageous thing is He lets us keep 90. The outrageous thing is not that God would, would call us into an intimate relationship with Him in which we put Him first. The outrageous thing is that's not the only thing we're allowed to do. He is worthy, not just of the first portion, but of all of you. 
He's worthy of every song I could sing. He's worthy of all my praise. He's not just my creator, he created me. He's not just my saviour, he saved me. I owe him everything, not just the first. He's worthy. But also, we give him the first so that we might learn to trust in him. Because when we trust him with the first, he'll always be faithful to provide more. When we give him the first grapes from the vine, we're saying, we trust God that that's not going to be the last. When we give him the first lamb that's born from the ewe, we're saying, we trust God that there'll be another. When we give him the first of our finances, we're saying we trust God that, that he has and will continue to provide enough for us. When we give him the first moments of our day, we're saying we trust God that he's given us enough time today to accomplish everything that he's called me to do. When we give him the first moments of our week on a Sunday morning to gather with the church to worship, we're saying... We trust God that although I might be tired, although I might be weary, although sleeping looks fantastic this morning, I trust God that if I put him first, if I gather for worship, there'll be enough. And it might not be a great Sunday morning. It's not that we get direct return on things in that sense. I'm not saying I'm going to preach well enough every week to make it worth you coming. But I'm saying, you put God first, he'll provide. And so the question this morning is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? an answer, it's a question for us all to wrestle with. Because we live in this culture of the fear of scarcity and of selfishness. At at war with my capacity to trust God and, and give to Him first is my fear of scarcity, my fear that there will not be enough. And partnering with that is that I'm just really selfish. I live in the me culture at a time where me is elevated to the throne of God. And and so scarcity is telling me there won't be enough. See, this woman that we spoke about in this passage, she had real scarcity. We live in a time of abundance and I know there's a severe drought and and that's pressing uh, on not just the finances of farmers, but that's pressing upon our whole uh, nation and businesses and things like that. I get that, but, but we still live in such a time of abundance. But we also live in such a culture of scarcity. And what I mean is, is that in our minds there, there's this fear that lives, there won't be enough, there won't be enough, there won't be enough, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough. But we live in one of the most abundant times of history. And so the thing is, whether scarcity is real or just a fear, fear says to us, if I give first to God, there won't be enough left for my needs. 
whether that's time, whether that's energy, whether that is finances, whatever it is, fear says, if you do that, you won't have enough. And so when we live in fear, we give God our leftovers. I'm sorry if this is confronting what I'm about to say, but leftovers don't belong to God. They belong to the dogs. Let's not give to God what belongs to dogs. And so God asks for the first things so that we might live not in fear but in trust. Because the moment we commit the first things to God, we've began the journey of breaking off the fear of scarcity. The moment we entrust ourselves to God with the first things, we've begun that journey of breaking off the fear of scarcity. I had a conversation with this week, and I'm not going to name the person, but, but we were talking about this, and you know, I was excited about this message this week, so anyone from the church that I had a conversation with kind of got the pre-sermon. Um, but this person would be someone that I would perceive as, as kind of living in, in much more scarce means than my own. And, and they said to me, we can't afford not to give. Because when we stop giving, that's when we don't have enough. And I was challenged by that. See, fear says you won't have enough, so just, just maybe if there's some left. But, but this person spoke truth to me and they said, we can't afford not to, because if we don't, we won't have enough. If we give God our leftovers, we rob ourselves of the blessing and joy of giving our first fruits to Him. And so, as I said, married to this is a culture of selfishness. We live in the I era, the me era, the me first, I above you. And we need to be real with that. We need to be careful not just to go, the world out there is so focused on self, but us here in the church, we've got this sorted. I do believe that, you know, in general, we're less self-focused than the average population, but, but we need to be real with how much that culture of self has invaded our own way of seeing and understanding things. Selfishness equals me first. And, and so you may remember a time when, when Jesus was calling people to follow him. And we're not talking about the 12 disciples. There was many more that followed him. And he said to one person, come follow me. And that person said, sure, but first let me go and bury my father. How selfish. And then to another he said, come follow me. And, and that person said, yes, yeah, sure, I'd love to follow you, but first... Let me say goodbye to my family. So these, these are not things that we would necessarily perceive as selfishness and there's a whole cultural thing around that and what Jesus is meaning I don't have time for this morning but I mention those stories because selfishness says, yes, yes, Jesus, but first, coffee, but first, electricity bill, but first... I need to sleep in, but first, 
but first, but first, but first, and unless the but first ends with Jesus, then we've fallen short of what God's called us into. And so we're called to give first to God. We're called to embrace that truth that in every area of life, if we give first to God, we will not run out, we will not miss out, we will not be left out. But fear says you can't. And selfishness says you don't want to. And so in the midst of that, we need to make a choice. Who will we listen to? Who will we listen to? Will we listen to fear? Will we listen to selfishness? Or, or will we listen to the promises of God's words that say, if I just put him first, if he gets the first fruits, the first moments, the first of my energy and time, then he will ensure I have enough. See, my t- as I was uh, pondering on this this week, uh, God really prompted me to share a couple of, of my own personal testimonies in this space. And uh, I must say, I do it with fear this morning because I don't want to, uh, in a sense, make this about glorifying myself. And I want to share up front, there's so many times where I've just not put God first. Um, but God highlighted, uh, as I was running this week, and I don't say that to glorify myself, it was the one time I ran in like a month, but um, when I get everything out of the way, uh, I feel God speaks. And so my spirit, uh, as Eric Liddell would say, I, I feel God's joy when I run. My spirit feels God's joy, my body doesn't. Um, it feels my age. Um, but I was reminded um, of a time in my teenage years um, and I'd never really thought of it this way in, in this context, but I used to play rugby league as a teenager and um, that was on a Saturday, but once you got to uh, beyond under-16s, that switched to a Sunday with the seniors. Uh, and I really enjoyed playing football. Um, and I'm not against the idea of, of, of playing sport on a Sunday. I'm not kind of, like, I love Eric Liddell's story of, of not running on the Sunday and and God blessed him, and he won the 200 instead of the 100. But I'm not against the idea of, you know, it's the Olympic Games, I probably would have ran, uh, should I have made it that far. But, but what I didn't want to do was to say, for an entire six months of the year, I'm going to put church to the side while I go and play football. And so I made the decision to stop playing, all except for the school knockout comps that happened during the week, and we got knocked out pretty early in rugby league. And so that was the story for a year, and then... Uh, one of my close friends who's an elder in a church in Port Macquarie, he wasn't then, but he said to me, I'm going to play rugby union. He was the thinnest stick and still is the thinnest stick of a person I know and this is the only season he played. (laughs) But I believe God used him to give me rugby union, which is played on a Saturday. And the story is that God fulfilled my joy of playing football and I've never thought of it this way. I just thought oh, I used to play league, I stopped and, and, and now I'm playing, played rugby union. But I felt like this week God just said, hey, I gave you that. You put me first in this place and I gave you the joy of rugby union. And I loved the game even more. And I went further in that game than I ever dreamed of going in, in rugby union. I didn't get to pull on a Wallabies jersey or even a Waratahs jersey, but 
Um, someone gave me one for free a few um, <laughs> months ago. So, yeah. But I felt like God just remind me this week, you put me first in a space and I made sure you didn't miss out. And as I was pondering that, God brought to my mind Robbie, who I played, uh, he was in our first grade side at Penrith. He was an awesome open side flanker. Uh, and the reason God brought him to mind, and this is the testimony I'm most fearful of sharing, um, not, yeah, you'll get, I'll get to why. Because they knew I was a Christian and for a time I was a captain of that, that first grade side at Penrith. Um, and they knew I was a Christian and, 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 and most of the conversations were about um, my choice to save myself for marriage and how that was actually possible at all. Um, but then when I chose to uh, go to Bible college to study, uh, I was a physiotherapist, um, uh, and when I just chose to leave that career and go to Bible college to study to become a pastor, Robbie had serious issues with that. He said, how will you buy a house for your family? I was engaged to be married to my beautiful wife and he said, how will you possibly buy a house for your family? Isn't that an irresponsible decision to be making at this time in your life when you're about to be married? And and so I had the conversation with him. I said, well, well, Robbie, I found something more valuable to me in a house. And, and, and so, yes, I am giving up on that dream of ever owning a house. But, but I think God's worth it, Robbie. And then that was Tuesday night at training. And then a Thursday night, how are you going to buy a house? And he wouldn't let up. And see, the thing was, I, I, I pretty much thought we would never own a home. And not that owning a home is the be-all and end-all, it's an arrival space, but, but that was something we thought, we don't need it. Um, the reason I'm fearful of sharing this testimony is because I don't want you to think that I'm all about houses and, and, and selfish and, and now I can't comprehend the house that God's provided for us. But in 2015, in January, we were renting a home in Yass and we were, we were stunned by the, the quality of home that God had provided for us to rent. Um, and my wife was eight months pregnant and they rang and they said, they're going to sell the house. And so we're going to have to move. And the Spirit of God came upon Christy and she said, how much do you want for it? Um, and months before, my parents had visited us for Christmas and stayed in the home and God had put on their heart to help us in that situation. And so when we rang and said, can you help? They said, how much? And if you look now at the property graph of, of how much a four-bedroom home in Yass costs, we bought it the biggest dip in the market it's ever seen in the, in the last 10 years in Yass and it's rocketed up since then. And so this year, the start of this year, and so we had a house and it didn't tick every box, but that was okay. We were blessed beyond what we could imagine. Um, and um, my wife had made it such a beautiful home um, and she's, she's um, her favourite shows are the homemaker shows and uh, she loves houses with character and she's really good at interior design and she'd given up this idea of, of ever having, you know, that, that beautiful home that's just all about, you know, being beautiful and, and she loved it. And so at the start of this year when we were pondering our future, how much uh, longer um, will this sermon go, but how much longer um, will we be in Yass and we felt God call us to stay, we felt God call us to sell and to move. And, and the thing is, though, the numbers didn't add up. We couldn't afford the house that God had put on our heart. 
and I don't follow interest rates and that, but then, then God showed me the interest rates has dropped, so I did it again, and the, the numbers still didn't quite add up, but we thought to step forward, and, and um, we're planning on sticking with the same bank because, you know, convenience, but God, I believe, and, and this is what I feel like God was showing me this week, God frustrated that process so that we'd change banks to a bank where the numbers did add up to an interest rate where it did add up. And, and, and I'm fearful of sharing that because I don't want you to think that my heart's desire is set on a house. And I don't want you to think if you don't own a home that, that it's because I'm trying to say that it's because I've put God first more so than you. That's a load of garbage. But God compelled me this week to not rob him of the glory of what he's done in our lives. When we feel like we're giving stuff up for him, it's not always like the bank balance goes bing like that, but he will not let you miss out or run out or be left out. What I'm not saying, and I want to be clear about this and I am finishing this morning, What I am not saying is you can't miss a Sunday or God won't love you anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you're desperately ill or fatigued to the level of burnout that it will murder you if you come to church on a Sunday morning, that you just have to get yourself there or God will withdraw his love and blessing from your life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't enjoy sport on a Sunday or go to a concert or school spectacular or or things like that. I'm I'm not saying you can't do that. I am not saying if you don't give a full 10%, God is angry with you. That's not what I am saying. I am not saying if you don't wake up early every morning for prayer, God is turning his back on you. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we've traded one lie for another. And I'm not targeting any individuals. This is not an attack on this church. I'm talking about Western Christianity, perhaps, in general. We've traded the lie of legalism, which does say, if we don't perform these things, God will not love us. We've traded that lie for the lie of apathy that says these things just don't matter. because I believe that they do. And so I'm here today to tell you that they do. And God is calling us to tangibly put him first in our life. God is calling us to bring him the first things. God is calling us to put him first. And so the question is, do we trust him? The question is, do we make the choice Will we make this choice to say this over everything in our life? But first, Jesus. Let's not try, let's not trade the legalistic lie that says, if you don't do all of this, you're not enough, you're not good enough, God hates you. That's a lie and if you believe that, I pray in Jesus' name that that would be broken off you this morning. But let's not trade that for the one that says none of this matters. Let's make a choice. But first, Jesus.
So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we pray and we're going to come to worship. So we're about to sing a song about who God is and what we believe about him. And that declares you're worthy of everything. And so, Father, this morning I do say in prayer and I declare over us as a church community, you are worthy of all of us, not just the first bit. Father, we declare that you are worthy. Jesus is worthy. And so, Father, as we journey forward from this moment, I pray that you would break off any sense this morning, anything that that has captured a sense of legalism from what I've said this morning. We pray that you would break it off by your Holy Spirit. We reject the lie that you are displeased with us if we don't perform the right jobs and tasks. Father, but I pray that you would also break off the lie of apathy that says it doesn't matter. Father, I pray that you would return us all to that place where truly and deeply your son Jesus is our first love and first priority in every aspect of our lives. Father, help us to trust you Help us this morning. I pray that you'd be putting on our hearts this morning leaps of faith. Help us to trust you with the first of our time. Help us to trust you with the first of our energy. Help us to trust you with the first of our finances. Help us to truly believe your promise that when we give first to you, we will not run out. Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.